Hey, group chat. I know y'all see my text. There's tea to be spilled. Each week, we're bringing you our unfiltered take on culture, news, dating, and our lives as Black millennial women. We're coming to y'all with the honesty and eye rolls that only a text chain with your girls can. This is Black Girls Texting with Chelsea, Glenn, and Shade. Welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Texting. It's a Friday before Halloween. The girls are working. We're doing a lot. Charles Pinky's here. Best Eye Brat's here. My contractor's here. If you hear lots of banging and wagwans. No. <laughs> what is going on? On red or reply. Um, what is going on? You guys can go first. <laughs> I'll hop in very quickly and just say, yeah, um, a lot is going on. I feel very overwhelmed and uh, trying to enjoy my Halloween weekend, but there's lots to get done before the evening. I'm going to leave on red something that I previously replied to, which was that film. Oh, it's actually a series called From Scratch that I literally talked about liking last week. Because you watched 10 minutes. Uh, it takes a very dark turn, and I was not ready for all of that. Wait, what's the dark turn? Yeah, just tell us. I ain't gonna watch it. Spoiler alert. The man, her man dies. And it just becomes a oh. whole story of him like struggling with cancer. And it's mad sad. And then the writing just becomes very questionable in some areas but it still is beautiful it looks great there's some heartwarming that wig is bad the wig is not great (laughs) i'm like why'd i give her that wig i'm like really she has hair yeah she She has has. her hair looks exactly like how the wig looks i thought (laughs) same about the same length same color maybe she didn't want to damage her hair but they wasn't doing nothing but letting it hang was just, that was giving well, wash and go in it. no because it was kind of curly yeah i mean i'm not here i'm not going you know texture you just have to blow it out moderate her hair blow but out. i i was like it's giving foam and shingle yeah yeah i don't know it was interesting <laughs> um super you put a little foam and then you like make the ringlet oh <laughs> shingling um replying to mm, don't know what to say you're sad what no i'm like things are just like chilling and good i don't know if there's like a particular standout or anything that i'm that i've consumed that i like right now Mm, no i don't know damn sorry Mm. y'all well i'll jump in um i am i'm I think I'm going to leave my renovations right now on red. We're making progress. But like every time you turn around and they say this, like when you're renovating, like there's always like something and there's always just like a new thing. Um, and that's really annoying because that typically means more money. Um, mm. At Howard, I told I told the young, the youth, big girl bills, it ain't cute. I just dropped a bag on my car. That hurt. <laughs> and um you have such adulty ass problems. Yeah. Crazy. It, it, you know, I'm blessed. So I will I will not sit here and be all like, oh my car. But shit sucks. Um, so if anybody wants to sponsor me, I will send you pictures of my feet. <laughs> if you're interested. I'm I'm cool with that. My man's cool with it. We talked about it. He said he'd take the pictures. So, <laughs> you know. This is where we are. This is where, this is where we fucking are. Because I'd like to replenish that bag faster than later. Okay. Replying. I'm going to reply to this episode you're about to hear. I really enjoyed our guest. Um, her transparency, her vulnerability was so beautiful. And um, shout out to Chelsea for having her come onto the show. Because... Yeah, it's just an important subject and I'm I'm excited for you all to hear. So that's my reply. Yes, and I will reply to part three of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh, I watched. No spoilers. Oh, okay. I watched last night. Oh, God, this girl has been out for two days. It came out on Thursday. No, Wednesday. Oh, because you only watch on the app. You don't yeah. Know. Yeah, it came out on Wednesday. Who has cable? Me. I have cable and the apps. 
Okay. Well, anyways, um, it came out on Wednesday, and ooh, I wanted some more. Mm. I'm really, really, really behind. Mm. I'm looking forward I to it. Some more. I wanted some more. I won't spoil, but what I will say is, Kathy is a classic, rich old white lady reader. It's very subtle, mm. but it stings. Mm. Um, like a wasp. Oh, which is interesting because she is. It's a wasp. Anyway, so yes. Oh, so yeah, I'm replying to that. I'm leaving, I'm leaving like my bad food cravings on red. Hmm. This week I've had In N Out. Oh, I've had McDonald's. Oh, I had chicken nuggets. I got a happy meal. Hmm. It was so fucking good. My In N Out, so fucking good. But I know this kind of food is no good. But, anyways, yeah, I've just been craving it. And then, of course, it makes sense because I'm on my period. That'll uh, do it. Mm-hmm. That'll do it. Wait, I just realized I do have a reply. I remember it now. I wanted to reply. I, I'm sure you guys have probably seen it on Instagram recently. This uh, anonymous collective of Iranian artists staged like an artistic protest at the Guggenheim. Yeah. And they like unfurled all of like a dozen blood red banners from the top floor of the building. Um and it was to call attention to the ongoing protests in Iran. Um, there's a quote here from the artist collective that said, this homage is a call to action to support the current revolution in Iran led by brave Iranian women risking their lives to stand up against oppression to overthrow a longtime authoritarian regime. And I think it's really cool when we see people like subvert art spaces to like this is a form of art and also a form of protest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like using it's like making a museum space like a living thing kind of um because it's happening in the act they're like creating art in the moment and they're like and it's an act of protest because they like just did it i don't know if you guys saw um people have been protesting like climate change and throwing like that was ridiculous paint and shit on like classic paintings when i saw them throw paint on van gogh's sunflowers i literally like (gasps) I gasped. I love that painting. Me too. I gasped. Like it like yeah. broke my heart. <laughs> yeah. That's that what was not going to. Yeah, I was like but these people like created art in an artistic institution and I think that's super beautiful. So yeah. Yeah. I reply to that. Really? Yes. Yeah. You guys care that much about is the the Van Gogh? Yeah, that's a beautiful I painting. I just love that piece. I mm. remember that was like in, I remember like maybe elementary school or middle school like we had to like recreate the sunflowers and like learning about the colors and all and i really enjoyed that oh but you don't care about climate change and no, i'm kidding <laughs> I do, but i don't think throwing soup on a, a <laughs> helps the climate and then going but... in the markets and pouring bottles of milk just pouring the milk out if well, anything that's wasteful literally <laughs> clean that up. yeah like what oh i have another thing to leave on red really quickly um, cause it made me think of being wasteful with food. And I sent you guys this white girl doing like traditional, like cleanings, like, oh the, my like God. Limpias. Mm. And uh, I'm sorry, like indigenous diasporic, traditionally black and brown, like spiritual work. I'm just, I'm not here for white people being involved. Like, I'm sorry. I'm really not like if you're curious sure and like you want to learn about it that's one thing but like please don't make a tiktok showing people how to do limpias like you're a fucking like og bruja or something that shit is fucking weird and I didn't see that I gotta look at that no I saw that video and I was like I hope she's inviting demons into her home Damn, you sent it to us on Instagram. You yeah, and I was just like, "This is so strange." Like, it's so I'm like, disrespectful. Yeah, so mm. disrespectful. And it's like you learn this from a black person. So, like, like Billie Eilish. So, whose fault is it though? Are we the black person got to get blamed for teaching Becky that? Well, I'm maybe she saw it online because now everyone's a goddamn hood healer posting um, everything online and that's a whole other thing that i can leave yeah, on red but we could go into like that another time thing yeah i don't i don't i really don't get that um but we're we're in the age of social media and you know it, like i follow this one account and i think you guys follow it too or we'll send each other memes from it where people are be like i'm in oshun i had a dream and i saw a yellow mm. pattern and 
that was her talking to me. And I Googled a couple things and now I'm a priestess. And for $4.99, I'll give you readings. Like, no. Terrible. I just watched Terrible. this lady's thing and I'm literally shook. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I Mm-mm. thought wow. it was quite disrespectful. Cringy and just. Blah, blah. And then everybody's um, in, the, in the comments like, wow, way to, way to, what a way to waste food. that's also funny it's (laughs) such a strange place it was also super interesting because there's a lot of mexicans who were saying that that's like stuff that their grandmas used to do and like i didn't know a lot of mexicans did that i knew more like puerto rican dominican cuban um so that was interesting takeaway from sky like they did that little egg moment oh really Mm -hmm. wow it told okay. Laura people were jealous of her blue eyes. They were coming for her eyes. And they cracked an egg in the in a water. Oh. They like said they were jealous of her blue eyes. Yeah, like I, they, I guess they were getting like energy, negative yeah, like energies some, of people being jealous about her. Okay. Her. Mm. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, you know. Well, all right. Well, we anyone's hotline blinging? No, right? Great. No. Sad Halloween costumes. Just That's about Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. Ne- oh, next. My good sis. That's a black girl doing shit. This week, our black girl doing shit, our black and Iranian girl doing shit, is my good friend Sahar. Um, she's joining us to discuss her experience um, living in Iran and to further unpack what's happening there right now. Um, she's a great friend of mine very unfiltered and i think you guys will love this conversation she's super smart and just full of personality hope you enjoy all right y'all it's time for the group chat hello everyone so we have a guest this episode but before i introduce well actually i'll introduce the guest first this is my friend sahar i'm so happy she's joining the group chat um she's a brilliant friend of mine she's currently at columbia getting more law degrees um before she gets her what phd is that what's next it's phd next god PhD willing next god <laughs> willing but i really invited her on not to only brag about her lawyer skills but also to talk about what's happening in, happening in iran so before we start i do want to give like a brief overview and then we'll like deep dive um so listeners if you are not aware um in September, Masa Amini, a 22-year-old Kurdish-Iranian woman, traveled from her hometown in the province of, tell me if I'm saying this wrong, Kurdistan? Kurdistan. Kurdistan to the Iranian cop- capital of Tehran. Um, she was in the subway with her brother where she was arrested for failing to cover her hair modestly enough. Um, she was arrested by the modesty police. Uh, who basically enforced these rules all over Iran. From the pictures her family provided, though, she was absolutely covered um, and following the law of the land. But the modesty police told her that her covering was not sufficient and they needed to re-educate her. Um, and, you know, they, her and her brother resisted, explaining that they were visitors and they weren't from that town um, and they just wanted to go home. They took her away anyways. Um, and three days later, she was found dead. Um, she was in a coma, uh, and photographs of her, you know, were released on the internet and it set waves throughout the country, throughout the world, really, um, really sad picture. You know, she was on a bed. Um, I don't want to describe it, but the anger over Masa's death was really, really prompted a lot of rage across Iran. Um, and women were stripping, you know, their headscarves, you know, some of them were even burning them. And although the women's rights movement has been going on for hundreds of years in Iran, um, this is really a significant outpouring of dissent against the ruling system um, in more than a decade. And it's led by women. Um, One of the chants that I found to be really empowering were women, life, freedom. Um, So we'll go into it more. But that's just the background. Um, did I kind of explain the background? Okay. No, that was perfect. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I just wanted to say one more thing for people who think, oh, this is like a one-off. 
It's not. Um, her death actually caps a summer of violence from the morality police, um, especially this past summer. Um, there had been several other incidents of extreme violence. Um, and it, I'm not trying to compare the two, but I, I did see a point of relation, the way how George Floyd kind of became like the face of BLM, even though we know he was not the only or there weren't a few. This has been happening in terms of police violence in the United States. Um, so just wanted to point out that her story is not rare. Um, also wanted to quickly say that the protests have been happening in in over 85 cities and towns across Iran. Um, women have been braving bullets, um, beatings, um, and, you know, these these uh, protests have even been happening in two of the most religious conservative cities in Iran, the city of Gom, which is kind of like the headquarter of the Shia faith, and then Mashhad. Am I saying that correctly? Mashhad, yeah. Mashhad. Um, so, yeah, all over the country, women are really rising up. So I just wanted to know, as a as a Persian woman, how are you feeling and coping? Yeah, so I want to start off by thanking you guys for having me on here. I think as Black people in the U.S., you guys face your own challenges so much that it's really commendable to still care about what's going on outside of the country because the issues that are present and face Black people every day here are not fixed whatsoever. So to open up your hearts and to care about what's going on in a whole other country, I think is, is just so kind and leave it to Black women to do that. Um, you know, the, the feelings that I have about the situation it's a lot of rage. It's a lot of disappointment. It's a lot of sadness. But as you said, this isn't something that is new. So the feelings, the feelings aren't new. It's a feeling that hundreds and millions of women have had growing up in Iran. I was born in Iran. Um, I was born in the city of Qom. So my family is extremely religious. And from a young age, I've had this anger. I've had this frustration in regards to the laws that have been imposed. Um, what is truly heartbreaking now is how free the government feels in actually killing people, kidnapping people, beating people. I feel like it's been going on for a while, but they would try to hide it. And now they feel so free in doing so. Mm. And it's ironic because there's never been so much attention put on Iran as there is now. And the fact that they are feeling so free and in, in committing all these atrocities only speaks to the point that they're trying to make, which is you can fight, you can scream, you can yell, but you're not going to be able to get free. Gosh, that makes me like, that's like such a he heavy heavy thing to say yeah um, I just wanted to know like how are you coping because you are born there but you're here where I mean not for nothing America with all oh. its bullshit you're oh, allowed to free. choose yeah. yeah um I mean I'm not doing well right I'm not doing well the same way that I wasn't doing well during the BLM movement but the problem is when you live in a capitalist society there's nothing you can do um I'm constantly on the phone with my cousins and my family, because the only, I have a very large family. I have 40 first cousins. Um, and the only people that I have in the U.S. are my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, and my niece. The rest of my family is in Iran. And I have all my cousins are around my age. And these are women who are involved in the protest. Mm. Um, my mom and dad are actually both in Iran right now. So I feel anxious. I feel nervous and there's a part of me that wishes I was there fighting with them. Um, coincidentally, my parents sent me back to Iran in 10th grade, which uh, because they thought I was becoming too Americanized. Uh, it ended up being at the same time as the Green Revolution. Um, and that was, attempt, that was Iran's attempt of overthrowing the government and when Ahmadinejad was getting elected. And I took part in that movement. Um, I was beaten by police officers. I got both of my legs broken. So I am a revolutionary at my core. And I wish more than anything that I could be there with them and fight. And there is a survivor's guilt that I feel by being here. Um, I feel like a coward by being here. I feel like I can get up and if I want to tune into the news and if I don't, you know, I could just ignore it. Whereas for them, 
this is their life. They have literally no other choice. Anyone who's from Iran and, or from a lot of third, third world countries knows it's really hard to leave these countries. Like your passport literally will not grant you admission into a lot of other countries. So these people are literally just stuck. And the reason why you see so many people willing to die is because death almost feels better than living in that hellhole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you like describe that because in doing my research, I just kept thinking like, wow, like the idea that just hearing about when the women are protesting, they're literally facing bullets, like they're shooting into the crowds. You know, some women are being hurt at these protests and they're afraid to go to the hospital because there the police are looking for whoever was hurt at a protest to arrest. Like it just seems very intense. And I'm like, wow, the fact that they're really like willing to put their bodies on the line is insane not insane but it's just no, but it something is, that is, I haven't experienced on my yeah. own um but I I just wanted to share like a little history about something you also mentioned so in 1979 the Islamic revolution toppled the monarchy and the new religious leaders reversed some rights that women had and we can talk about that because I know your family has kind of like an interesting relationship to it but um and within two years, so in 1981, uh, the new, more religious leaders uh, passed the mandatory hijab law. So think about before they weren't, they didn't have to wear the hijab, and then after they did. Um, many women feel this rule was enacted as a tool because the hijab is such a visible representation of the Islamic State. Um, so some women in the interviews I watched said that. If you didn't wear one, you could lose your job. You could be denied ed- education, um, denied service at a store. Uh, the new regime also enacted other laws that infringed on women's rights, like um, it was super difficult to get a divorce or um, very difficult to gain custody of your children. Um, in some cases, husbands could even prevent a woman from from getting educated or getting a job or leaving the country. Um, how do you feel about the or can you describe the uh, more religious leadership versus before? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about what things were back then because they were definitely much better than they are right now. I'll say that. But when looking to the past, sometimes we tend to glorify the past and I, I mm-hmm. want to make that while the past was much, much better than what existed today, in Iran, I think there's always been a problem with choice. And that, that's really what it comes down to. So when the Shah was, uh, was, was ruling, that's when some of my family members wanted to wear the hijab. And they were chased down, beaten, had the hijab pulled off of their hair. And now, you know, it's the same thing happening with the women who don't want to wear it. So the religious regime has taken what they, they're lying and saying that the Quran says certain things that it just doesn't, right? Like there's a lot of interpretation about whether Mm. the Quran says that you need to wear hijab. Modesty is definitely mentioned, but the hijab as it is mandated today has never been described in the Quran. So I, like, let's make that very clear. It says to be modest in the same way that you see Mary has, you know, like a head covering when she's holding baby Jesus. And you see it in a lot of other monotheistic and in, in the other monotheistic religions, but there's been no requirement to cover up. Covering up is a very cultural thing. That's why you'll see the way that the hijab is worn is very different in Saudi Arabia, to Turkey, to Iran, to (laughs) Lebanon. It's merged so much within the culture. So I want to put that out there. And then, you know, I I personally have firsthand experience about not having rights. So when I went to Iran uh, right after college, I wanted to go uh, become a journalist. I knew I wanted to go to law school, but I really wanted to be a journalist. And I wanted to cover the news. I wanted to cover what was going on in Iran, what was wrong with Iran. And I was denied that. Every news source in Iran is owned ultimately by the government, which is why you're seeing so many journalists who are reporting on what's actually going on right now. They're being kidnapped. um, They're disappearing. You have no idea where they are. They're being killed. So 
I, I know that from firsthand experience. And then I was also married in Iran and I asked for a divorce in 2016. And still to this day, I don't have a divorce because he won't divorce me and I don't mm. have a right. And I, I traveled back to Iran last summer. And the biggest fear that I lived with every day was what if he finds out I'm here and he prevents me from leaving the country? Mm, because right. Are actually granted that right. You mm -hmm. are property. You are property of your father's until you get married and then that property is passed to the next man. But at no time are you not property and at no time is your body not policed. It's the policing of your body is very intentional. And as you stated, wearing the hijab is a very clear blatant manifestation of that. They want you to know that we are policing you and we're controlling you. It's there's no secret to it. Yeah. I have a question though, because I feel like, um, and I don't know if this is just like Western propaganda, but you'll see people make these posts about Iran pre um, the like Islamic state. And it's like, all these women were so stylish and they wore bikinis and they went to the pool and mm -hmm. they like set the fashion. So like, yeah. was that really like happening at that time? And what like, was it kind that? of a. Yeah. Yeah. I think at that time, women definitely had more freedom to take off. Right. They had more freedom to to drink, to be more westernized. But that's because at that time, if you look at the history, Iran was also very heavily influenced by the West and had a great relationship with the U.S. What was happening at this time then, though, is women who wanted to cover up were not really allowed to. Okay. So, so it's always been you are to do what the regime in place is telling you to do. So you're being oppressed when you're telling someone who wants to cover up to take off and you're being oppressed when you're telling someone who doesn't want to wear a hijab to cover up. There's right. oppression in telling a woman how to, there's oppression in controlling a woman's body, whether it's telling her to take it off or put it on. And I right. think Regardless. We're, seeing, we're seeing both sides of the coin, mm -hmm. but that time was definitely a much better time. Like I want to make that very clear. There were clubs and drinking and uh, Iran was, Iran was it like it's where mm. people want to travel to, you know, and it's hard to look back at your country and think, wow, we were at the top and then we fell as opposed to being like, okay, well, we never got there. You know, like we've just been colonized since we were here, but it's, it's like, we had it, we had this progress and then it was all stripped away from us. Yeah. I also wanted to point this out, which I, I sound, I, feel bad saying that I was surprised, but I think my imagination or my image of Iran is one way, but I actually learned that Iranian women are actually some of the most educated women. Um, they're very much a part of Iranian society. They're working as pilots, professors, actresses, you know, very much in the society. More than 50% of college students are Iranian women, um, and they've been fighting for their rights. It's just now that this activism is has become like totally criminalized. Yeah. Um, and then I just wanted to say, like, again, I was like, okay, but like people are really putting their body on the lines. What's going on? Is it really about this hijab? And then I discovered that there are so many other layers about what's going on. So two things are the economic issues in Iran. And then the other thing would be like the political situation in Iran. So I just want to briefly discuss those. So right now, and of course, America, of course, had a hand. So Iranians are protesting about more than just the hijab. Um, it's also about the economy. They are looking around the region and seeing other countries around them where young people are having very prosperous lives. They are having better futures. Um, and it doesn't really make sense because Iran is a very resource rich country. It has the second largest gas reserve in the world. Um, it's a major oil producing country. But despite mm -hmm. that, people in Iran are feeling extremely economically squeezed right now, like buying, at least according to my research, and please correct me at any point, yeah. um, buying meat and, you know, any po poultry dairy right now is almost like a luxury, like people can't afford yeah. it mm -hmm. um, because of this crazy inflation. But one part of that has to do with sanctions that the US and Europe put in place um, apparently they thought that Iran had secret nuclear programs, um, and Iran had denied this and they wanted to get Iran to become more transparent about what they were doing. So they enacted these like 
economic sanctions, which really like squeezed the country economically. Um, so as I said, the sanctions depleted the economy. And then in 2015, we reached a nuclear deal with Iran um, and the sanctions were removed. Uh, and we put like a lot of foreign investments were poured into Iran and the economy was recovering. And then two years later with Donald Trump, um, he exited the deal unilaterally, mm. even though Iran was complying. So, you know, there's all this economic issue. So it's like not just about the hijab. I just wanted right. to point out there's all these economic issues that, of course, we played a part in. Um, right. We meaning America. America. Um, <laughs> she said we are not. Not, my, not we. <laughs> right. Not me. Not we as in we. Right. But it's wild because all these young people in Iran are graduating with these advanced impressive degrees and working in like shops you know they mm. can't find a proper yeah, job no yeah and as you mentioned it's not cheap to leave your country either right. like the immigration is not a cheap uh no. experience yeah and um the only possible way to to migrate from iran to the u.s right now outside of a tourist visa or you have family or you know that's rare uh, you'll have to do an investment and the investment is anywhere between $500,000 to a million dollars. Jesus, You'll have to invest here. And you have to remember that the dollar is worth, I think, 25,000 to mine right now. So for, uh, for every dollar, it's 25,000 yeah, to mine. And then they like, it's just, it's not possible. Yeah. I don't know where they would get the money to do that. So it's not only that it's expensive to leave, it's actually impossible, impossible. to leave. Um, and speaking to what you were saying about, yeah, it's not just the hijab. These people have been squeezed so much, which is why they're willing to die, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to think about how horrible life has to be here. And you have to think about how hopeless you feel that you think if I die, I will live a, I will live a better life in the afterlife. That's that's really what they're thinking. There are no jobs. The 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 wage disparity, the wealth disparity in Iran is ridiculous. You're having so many people go get PhDs and doctorates and whatever it may be, and there's just no jobs. And the jobs that they do get, there's people with PhDs who are working jobs who are getting paid equivalent to like fifteen hundred dollars a month here. Imagine having a PhD and getting paid fifteen hundred dollars a month here. And that's a that's some that's a phenomenon that does exist in the US, right? That yeah. does exist, but it's just a lot more rampant there. Um, yeah. and these women are brave, they want a different life, so they are going to work. They're not waiting around, sitting at home, just trying to get wet off to the next person because they want to have ownership over their own body, they want agency, but there's just no avenues. So they're making little money here and there. But remember, there's still that societal pressure of you're not valuable if you're not married. So at mm. some point, the society will ostracize you because you didn't get married and because you didn't have children. There's a saying in Farsi where if you haven't been married by a certain age, you're called torshide, which means you've been pickled. Like, you know, when you put yeah. like, pickled cucumber, you're, you're considered pickled and no one wants you. Um, and you can't really achieve any type of status in society without a man. Yeah, wow. I used to live in Cambodia and um, my friends, after they turned like 30, they called themselves expired. Yeah. They were not married. I mean, yeah. there it's like really 25. Like, yeah. Yeah. we're all very expired right now. Yeah. We <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so <laughs> giving expiration. <laughs> do, you, do you mind sharing like how... Like, I didn't know you were married. And was that, like, out of, Love. Sa like, safety? Like, you were like, I have to do this? Well, hold on, because I feel like my phone is, the battery is acting like, okay. Um, no, it's fine. So, I wasn't forced to get married because I was living in the U.S., right? Full-time, I was living in the U.S., but I had gone to Iran um, to work while before I wanted to go to law school. But I did feel familial pressure to get married because, like I said, even though I was growing up in LA, I grew up in a very religious conservative family. Uh, I started wearing a hijab when I was nine years old because I wanted to be just like my mom. It ended up coinciding with 9-11 and I took it off. 
mm. or I asked to take it off and they said I couldn't. So I spent the rest of my life, I'd get dropped off at school with a hijab, long sleeves, whatever. And then I would change into honestly the sluttiest outfit I could find at Abercrombie and Fitch and Hollister because I just, I want, I was like a caged bird. I wanted to be free so bad. And because of the culture I was raised in and the family I was raised in, I knew the only way I could have freedom was if my new owner was willing to give me more freedom. And so how would that happen? It would only happen through marriage mm. and finding someone who wasn't super religious. So marriage to me was a way and a path to freedom. It didn't signify love. It signified autonomy and agency as ironic as it sounds. Mm. Um, so I, I met a guy and he proposed to me after five days. And I was honestly so desperate. Oh my God. I said, I said yes, because at least his family matched up to my family and he didn't want me to wear a hijab and he was fine with drinking. And I was like, mm. at least I don't have to cover my hair anymore and I could wear a skirt out. Like, mm. I, I know that sounds crazy, but growing up, my wildest dream was to be able to wear a sundress or like a little cute dress out and do my hair and put on earrings mm -hmm. like that to me was just I will have made it if I could just do that and now I look at you and now look at me I'm like trying to take it all off but, <laughs> <laughs> but um so I got married the marriage did not pan out the way that I thought it was going to um, how long were you married I was married for a year, uh, but the the day after the wedding, and I don't know how much this has to do with Iran, but the day after the wedding, he pulled me into the shower and he was like, we need to talk. I'm like, okay, what, what do you want to talk about? And he's like, my occupation isn't what you think it is. And I thought, mm -hmm. I was like, are we poor? Was, right. <laughs> oh <my God>. Stop. <laughs> that was, whew, couldn't do that one. But he was like, no, um, I'm an international drug dealer. Oh, oh, oh. And I just got what off What the death fuck? Row. He's like, I got oh, off you guys death don't row know this girl's fucking life. Wait, wait, wait. Like, where, was he, where was he raised? In Iran? He was raised in Iran. Okay. Um, but he, you know, he, he sold products everywhere. And he place. got caught two years prior to us getting married in Malaysia. And so was on death row for a year in Malaysia. Because they don't play that shit over there. Right. They do not. They do not play that. And he had gone off the death row. They had taken his passport away. And he was like, but I'm still in the business. We're trying to break into London right now and Australia. Oh, and oh, our walls oh. are all laced with cocaine. And by the way, Iran also carries a death penalty. So mm -hmm. I'm like, you're not about to... I'm I'm not about to die for this shit. Like I thought I was a ride. <laughs> I just wanted to wear a fucking skirt. I, right. like, I, I know I said I was a ride or die, but I'm really not. I'm not riding or dying. Um and that happened while I was applying to like law school and I was like, I can't do this. Like I can't No. Because when I would also talk to him about what are your aspirations when you come to the US, you'd be like, I want to work for the cartel. And I'm like, is that a company I've never heard of? Or what is aspiration? Like, and he was like, No, the cartel. And I was like, Okay, well whatever. So I tried to leave and he wants a green card so bad that he's just been dangling this divorce over my head. How long has and it been? Wow. It's been since 2016. So 2016. Yeah. Six yeah. years. Well, listeners, this, that got very tangent, tangential. I <laughs> um, but the other thing I just wanted to mention, so we talked about the economics in Iran. Um, I also wanted to mention like the political, not having political power. So yeah, Iranians are really feeling like their political system is flawed. Um, they have come out and voted for reformist candidates over and over again in presidential yeah. and parliamentary elections. But those candidates, when they come into power, they're either not able to um, rule or they no longer want to or the state really just doesn't allow them yeah. um the last round of elections many iranians actually just boycotted um yeah. only 30 percent. there was only 30 percent participation which is not the norm for iran people do vote um so how did you feel in terms of like the political system when you when you were involved in it or yeah. How it is now. I mean, the reason why the Green Revolution happened in 2008 was because they announced Ahmadinejad as president while people were still at the polls voting. So this is what I mean by 
The reason why people are so fed up is because Iran doesn't even try to hide how much they're trying to play you or, or how fraudulent every aspect of society is and how corrupt it is. And so the Green Revolution was the attempt to kind of be like, we see what you're doing. People are still voting. This is fraudulent. They're just picking a puppet to put in place while the Ayatollah really controls everything. And after that, it was honestly a, a, a decline because when they, they, all the methods that they're doing now, they did to us then. They would shut off our phones. So the way we got to communicate and we got to assemble was we would go on our roofs and we would say, Allahu Akbar, which means like Allah is great because they couldn't police that. But that had become code for us to assemble. And so you would start hearing that all over the city. And we would go out and it would be silent protests and they would bring in people from the government dressed as citizens and start lighting cars on fire and causing fights. So then they could throw, they, they could say, look, look how dangerous it is. We have to crack down. And that's that when sounds they started. Familiar. I was going to say, this all sounds so familiar. But I mean, that's when they started to um, throw tear gas and mm-hmm. people tried to assist each other. So they would open their, their doors to their houses because their houses would be on the street for us to run in. But I don't know if you've ever been in tear gas. You cannot see and cannot, you're just like suffocating. And really they die. came in with their batons and that's when they started beating us. So of course, these people that you're seeing now are the same people that in 2008 took part in this and, and they were shut down. So why would they even try to vote anymore? It's not like there's... The U.S. at least lies and says it's a democracy. <laughs> Iran doesn't even do that, right? It's like, if you want, you can vote, but... <laughs> but the leader is who it is. The leader so the is choice who it has is. Been made. I, hope you, I hope you rock with it. Because if right. you do you think that, and this may be a loaded question, but do you think that this revolution will be successful? I don't. And it's really painful to say that. But I don't think Iranians can overthrow the government by themselves. And I think that so long as there is no foreign outside support, they don't have power. You know, and and they're killing people off, and it's like they don't care. They don't care how many people die. They'll kill everybody off to save their own families, and they'll they're okay with that. There's never going to be a point where they're going to concede or they're going to say, okay, enough is enough, because they actually don't care about the people. And so, I just don't see how. I I think it's going to take everything to a boiling point, and then if and then something's going to happen and then it'll be a complete destruction. But I just, because I, I thought we thought it was going to happen with the green revolution and they killed so many people then and they hurt us and so many people were kidnapped and thrown in jail and all of that. And somehow they stuck it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I don't see without some type of foreign intervention where some country opens its doors for the people or, or something. I don't know how, I don't, I don't see there being much change. And what's scary when you get into foreign intervention is that then predatory countries like the United States want to come in, put in powerful people that are beneficial to them. And so Again, on the outside, maybe things look like they've improved, but then it's just like. But you know what? I think I think the Iranian people will at least take that because we talked mm. a little bit about sanctions, and so what's happening right now is the the people are suffering at the hands of stubborn governments. Whether it was because of Trump or Iran's presidency, they're the ones beefing, and the people are the ones who are having to deal with the repercussions. Mm-hmm. So I don't really think Iranian people care who comes in power so long as it's no longer the Islamic regime. They just want doors to be opened up. They want KFC to have a branch and Starbucks to have a branch because it'll create jobs. It'll give them a chance to live. It's like the problems that can come about with predatory intervention is much better than the state that they're currently living in. So they're willing to choose between bad and worse. Damn. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Well, yeah, I 
this was very eye-opening like having to it was like a, l- a little research project yeah having to just, <laughs> i was like damn trusty over got her whole document <laughs> Dig- digging more into time. this um i guess I, I want to transition very shortly to something that um a little more light but before we do get into that um what message do you have for your sisters in Iran um, who are on the ground? Yeah, I mean, continue to set an example, continue to be brave. Um, you're not just dying and being beaten and kidnapped for yourself. You're creating a better world for the next generation. And I commend you and I look up to you. And I hope that we can just be inspired by these women, not just in revolutionary terms but in the decisions that we make in our everyday life I hope that we can remember how privileged we are um, and that whatever I can do to fight for them from here I will and while I'm not there physically my heart is with them and yeah I'm praying for them yeah I'm also praying for them um well thank you for talking about that yeah Um, thank you so much listeners this is a reminder though that this is the group chat and so Sahara and I have been talking about these things um and just like how our like respective backgrounds kind of affect who we are today and like who we're becoming and as she mentioned she actually was on the ground you know actually had an uh um Uh, an experience with the morality police in which both her legs were broken. So, you know, she's had experience with this. And it's so interesting because being your actual friend, I'm like, now I know who you are, like how you are today. And I'm like thinking about like your past. It's just so, so different because now you're posting TikToks about women and not need or needing a man. Can you tell me about your beliefs in that in that realm of the world? Yeah, I think honestly, a lot of my upbringing and growing up in such an oppressive society has just inspired me in in having these beliefs of women contributing financially in a relationship. I think women should go out and make money and have careers and do all of that. But the fact that you have to equally contribute in a relationship is just baffling to me because I think we give just so much in relationships, right? We're, we're the ones who are considered the, the, we're, we're, we need to be the ones who bear the children. We need to take care of our men, right? If, if they step out, the first question is always like, are you not satisfying him? We still need to cook dinner. We still need to do all these things. I think the feminist movement gave us a lot of rights, but it didn't really account for women of color, especially black women, because if it did, then it would have provided universal health care. It would have the mortality rates of black women during birth would not be three to four times that of their white counterparts. So it's like our status in society and being expected to go to work has changed. But status in the home has not. We're still expected to provide and do all of these things. And this isn't Iran, but in the U.S., if you're not claimed by a man, people still look down on you. People still shame you, right? Like you're this age and oh my God, you don't have a man or you don't have kids. So I just think there are so many battles that we have to fight day in and day out. And the only way we could really have somewhat of an equal standing in a relationship is if financially what we earn go into our pockets and not contributing financially to to the relationship that's just my views i hear you girl (laughs) yeah i i I get that especially when you speak to especially when there are those expectations right like if you're in a situation in my opinion where those expectations are not set and you clearly state what the shared responsibilities will be, then I think there's there's more to that. But like, I feel like that's very rare. Like, I feel like regardless, there still are certain expectations. And if even if it's not necessarily that you're like taking care of the home, like, yeah, I got to have a fucking kid. That's what I mean. Like, that's crazy. You have to bleed once a month. Like that in itself, and you gotta take your ass to work with these men 
And you're like, I don't know how bad your period cramps are, but I literally feel like I am dying while I'm on my period. You don't get time off from that. And no. then and then how much time are companies giving you when you have a child? How much paid leave time do you get? Like barely. The really, the really good companies are giving you what I think it's like 10 to 12 weeks. 10 to 12 weeks after you gave after you gave birth. If you look at studies, your body doesn't even return back to normal for a year and you get max 12 weeks. And then you got to go to work and pump and do this and do that and still take care of the man and take care of the kid. And then you want me to pay for rent? <laughs> and and your point, because I think you talked about this too when I watched one of your videos on that the, 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 the dollar is just not equal. I don't know right. what the exact amount is, but like women don't get paid the same as men. No, women get paid 80 cents for every dollar a man makes and black women earn as little as 61 cents. So I want you to think about that next time you want to be cute and pick up the tab. You're not <laughs> the same as the person you're splitting bills with. And right. I honestly think like there needs to be a period of time where there's just wealth accumulation within women, especially black women. And then maybe we could talk about splitting I don't know. Like I'll buy you a piece of gum, but that's all I'm. Doing. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. What do you think though about then what that puts in terms of societal pressures on men? Because I don't give a fuck about societal pressures for men. That's what I'm saying. Like the, the fact that we are constantly worried about societal pressures for men. This is what I mean. Like we're, 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 so brainwashed to always care about them. No one is asking about how you feel about societal pressures on you to get married. You got mm. the late, what was that crazy man's name? Who oh. about high value women? Oh, Kevin Samuels. Yeah. yeah, you got Kevin Samuels creating a whole career around determining what is a high value or low value woman. Mm. There's so many aspects of society that make sure to reinforce and police women, women's bodies, who women are criminalize us. And then our question is, what about men feeling a little bit of pressure? I'm sure we feel a lot of pressure. 10 yeah. times that pressure. And yeah, it sucks, but I, I just think they need to feel that in order for there to be some balance. Mm. Yeah. I, I I feel like it's we we should have a part two because I definitely <laughs> feel like it's a deeper conversation. My own I agree with you, my only pushback is when it has to do with black men because black men also have been 1000 percent. you know mm -hmm. there's so many systematic reasons why black men aren't earning what like white men are for example and right. so like if we're holding them to the same standard no i definitely don't men. think black men and white men should be held to the same standards as anything take all my the white men's money my point <laughs> is black women are at the intersection of gender and sex mm -hmm. and you, they get the worst of racism and they get the worst of sexism. And at the same time, they go into work, they have to deal with microaggressions in a way that other people don't. They're not getting the higher positions either because of the color of their skin or because of what they're wearing or because of the way their hairstyle is. All of these things, Black women are being told that, oh, you're not like, babe, you don't have a man, you don't have a child, you don't have this, you don't have that. And then also they have to contribute financially to a relationship. I just don't think it's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. And for the listeners who may be curious about this, do you want to share your ethnic? Oh yeah. My, my, yeah. They're gonna be like, who's this white lady? No. Like this um, <laughs> so my grandfather is Ghanaian and um, my grandmother was Persian. So. Okay. And the yeah, other side I, is Persian. I was um, always like, Hmm. She looked black to me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We have to do a part two. I think this is like a super interesting conversation. It's something that I'm navigating in my relationships and how I think a lot of people are, are thinking about dating. I feel like there's a resurgence almost of like a lot of women trying to get out of this, like I'm independent and being like, no, wait a minute. You, you got I'm it. I'm in distress. Yes. <laughs> idea of a strong black woman right like it's just yeah you want to be a soft black woman because the strong mm -hmm. black woman is tired the strong black woman's paying bills the strong black woman's uplifting everyone it's like there needs to be this new era of a soft black woman 
And that soft black woman is going to say yes to whatever she wants and no to whatever she wants. And that's why I'm saying you could, if you want to spend all your money on your man, girl, that's fine. I just don't like the expectations mm. that you're a gold digger if you don't. That's yeah. what I'm with. Yes. Yeah. You a city girl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. I mean, Yvonne Orgy, she talks about it in her, I think you posted it. She was like, I'm a weak black woman. I'm a weak black woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but anyways, I loved having you here. Listeners, this is really just like the epitome of a group chat because yes, we talked about something as serious and as important and as heavy as what's happening in Iran. And then we could also have a conversation about running these niggas' pockets. Just kidding, <laughs> JK. Um <laughs> in the same conversation. And that is the the what's the word, Glenn? Give me a good word. I don't know the duplicity of black women. The multiplicity, multiplicity. Yes, <laughs> there's a lot of streams of thoughts that are going through our brains at all hours. And shout out to your group chats for being able to talk about these things. Yes, um, being able to learn from each other, being able to to relate to one another. So, thank you so much, my thank dear you guys friend. so much. You're doing amazing work. Thank you guys you. For- of soft black women and i wish only softness <laughs> on your <laughs> softness. yes thank you so much sahar literally your story your vulnerability people are gonna i know this will resonate across anyone's background but definitely will mean a lot to all the iranians out there thank you guys thank you for coming what would you do okay so this week's what would you do Hits a little close to home. We didn't get a listener letter or a DM. So please continue to email us. I know we're not experts, but we love to get into your mess and your business and give you advice. Um, but this one is a little personal. Um, what would you guys do if you had family members that were beefing? Mm. Like, how would you navigate that? Try to squash it. Yeah. Like, do my part to try to end it and remind them that we're family and it's just not worth an ongoing fight. Yeah. If you if you listen to the Patreon, you know some of the saga, and I won't go too much into it because that's kind of Patreon-type content. Can't let y'all all up in my business, but mm. yeah. I struggle with that. Like, my parents and their siblings will get into shit, and I'm just like, uh I don't know how to get involved in this because mm-hmm. it just feels like some sibling thing, something that y'all do. It becomes annoying for the rest of us because we have to sit there while they're doing their thing and we're trying to like have a Thanksgiving dinner. Um, but yeah, to be honest, I don't, I try not to get involved. Mm. See, I think that's so interesting because for me, it depends on the family member. Like if my mom was beefing with her sisters, I'm going to have my mom's back just because I'm very protective oh, of my yeah. mom. And like it was so funny because that was I'm not gonna give it away, but that was a piece of the Beverly Hills finale. Mm. Um, I'll just say this little part because Paris was liking negative things about Kyle on social media. Oh, and no. it like really hurt Kyle's feelings. And Kathy was like, "Well, she's very protective of her mother." That's too much. <laughs> yeah, obviously know. social media is too much, but also I'm not a celebrity, so I think they're living like in a different world and that's yeah. how they communicate. But um, yes, it depends on the family member because if it's my mom, I'm writing for my mom. If it's my, like if it's my mom and her sister beefing, writing for my mom. If it's like, you know, it depends. It depends on like the relation, but like overall- if they're like my peer group, I'm trying to resolve it. Yeah, like let's say if it was like your cousins beefing with your cousins and right. Yeah, you know, yeah. Trying to resolve it. My grandfather is like very adamant about like it's family, it doesn't matter, and I'm like, yeah, that's cute, but like y'all know I got somebody in my family that is blocked. <laughs> yeah, you not too. invited, not invited to my functions. They appear. I don't know how and i am i am uh (laughs) gracious and respectful but not dealing with them if someone called me and was like come get so-and-so i'd be like "Mm, try another ice contact um i am not the one and i feel like that's real like why should you 
I mean, anyone who disrespects your boundaries, I don't know in this case if that's your situation, but if anyone is like toxic to you, I don't think you keep them in your life for the sake of family. I think you try a little harder mm-hmm. for the sake of family. I think you put a much more effort into it. But if someone keeps burning, burning you, burning you, burning you, burning you, burning you, they're causing you stress. Stress is, affects well. I mean, affects health and maybe wealth. Um, then maybe mm. they get cut off. Mm-hmm. Well, or maybe put on ice. Yeah, we'll see how this goes. My advice was just basically for them to just try to sit on it and 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 maybe let some time heal because they're both stubborn individuals and we'll we'll see. We will see. Mhm. That's good advice. But yeah. Again, so- send us your what would you do's so that you don't have to hear vague stories, <laughs> cryptic stories about my what would you do. And thank you all for listening. Chelsea, you want to take us out? Yes. And if you want to learn more about the stories, join us on Patreon. It's only five facts because you know we're about to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, we are here. Fair and square. Follow us on Black at Black Girls Texting on everything. Patreon, YouTube, Instagram. TikTok and then on Twitter we're Black Girls Text One. Um and we really appreciate you for listening. Um please do some more research on the topic. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah. Thank you again and we are praying for the women in Iran. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Black Girls Texting. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Oh, and don't forget to text every group chat you're in and tell them to check us out. Follow your girls at Black Girls Texting and we'll see you next week. Bye.